This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 10th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Executive power is the gift that keeps on giving to every future president. The aggrandizement of the White House by George W. Bush and Barack Obama will now pass to President-elect Donald J. Trump. Gene Healy, author of The Cult of the Presidency, discusses the implications for the next White House inhabitant. Barack Obama and George W. Bush did a lot to expand the powers of the presidency, and uh, Congress didn't seem to stand in the way in any significant way. Uh, Barack Obama more recently, as you noted in a recent uh, discussion with me, uh, was concerned that he would be leaving, uh, quote, a loaded gun around in the White House for the next president. And so what what has he left behind for uh, President-elect Donald Trump? Well, it's an important part of uh, Barack Obama's legacy, although it's probably not at all the legacy he wanted to leave. Uh, you know, Obama and Dick Cheney will probably never be hunting buddies, but they have more in common than most people think. Uh, Cheney described the mission of the Bush administration as, quote, leaving the presidency stronger than we found it. They did that. They handed off a more powerful presidency to Barack Obama, and he turned around made it even more powerful, and now we'll pay it forward to uh, Donald J. Trump. And Trump, for well, for most of this year, seemed like a, like a thought experiment that a, a libertarian might come up with when you're arguing with a, a, a liberal to uh, get, get that person to focus on the dangers of concentrating too much power in the executive branch. Well, now it's left the, the realm of thought. It's an actual experiment that we're going to be running and living through. Yeah, so it, it seems to be if, if you wanted a good test of institutions and you had a candidate who was espousing a great deal of rhetoric that uh, on its face would be him proposing to do things that are illegal, unconstitutional, uh, well beyond what is even understood now to be uh, powers either assumed or explicit for the presidency. Now we have to test the quality of those institutions. Yeah, and see what remains of checks and balances. Uh, Trump has promised a great many things. He's uh, he said uh, that he won't refuse unilateral action. Uh, he said of Obama that quote he's led the way. To be honest with you, and among the. Uh, among the, the uh, initiatives that Trump has promised at home, uh, he said he, he's going to do a lot of right things with executive orders like uh, and executive actions, like uh, use the antitrust laws to silence his critics, deport five or six million unauthorized immigrants, create a database tracking Muslim citizens, and force Apple to make the iPhone in the United States. Uh, when it comes to Foreign policy, uh, he's, he's got apparently a secret plan to fight ISIS, but at one point that plan involved uh, 30,000 more ground troops in the region. And he's also threatened to uh, order the military to commit war crimes, to uh, bring back waterboarding and, uh, quote, tougher practices, and to go after terrorist families and take the oil. Uh, and the question for us is, you know, can he do these things? Can he get away with it? 
And for too many of them, it seems like the answer is yes. All right. So, uh, walk us through some of these in, in particular uh, that are where you think, based solely on precedent of presidents acting and Congress and courts not uh, deciding against it, that uh, President Trump in January would have the authority to do these things? Well, I, I think on so-called enhanced interrogation, he has a lot of latitude to uh, uh, reverse Office of Legal Counsel opinions uh, to do it in secret and uh, uh, get more aggressive uh, interrogation that may violate international law. Now, on the home front, some of the things that uh, Trump has pledged to do would require appropriations. If he wants to ramp up immigration enforcement to the levels he's talking about, build the border wall, and so on, uh, he'll need funds to do that. Uh, one problem is that in recent years, President Obama has minted a presidential power of the purse. He spent uh, about $7 billion in Obamacare cost-sharing subsidies to insurers that Congress never appropriated. If that's allowed to stand, then a President Trump would have more leeway in terms of directing funds toward things that Congress hasn't authorized. Courts, in particular the Supreme Court, have rejected a great deal of the Obama administration's priorities. What could they do to step in and, and stop some of these actions, or what, the, what would they be likely to step in and stop? Well, it's true that in some areas, uh, Obama has met pushback from the courts uh, in his uh, recess appointments gambit, where uh, he uh, accrued to or declared for himself a power to, to determine when the Senate was actually in session. Uh, he got uh, firmly rejected at the Supreme Court for that. And earlier this year, there's been some pushback on uh, his immigration directives and the unauthorized spending on Obamacare. Uh, but you know, in general, very few executive orders are ever overturned in court, uh, and that's in large part because Congress has delegated so much power to the president in, in the form of broadly worded statutes that the president oftentimes has at least a colorable argument that what he's doing is authorized in some way by a prior, a prior law passed by Congress. And the courts in general have been an even weaker bulwark of our liberties uh, when there's anything being carried out under the name, in the name of national security. Uh, and you add to that fact that uh, Trump may get as many as four Supreme Court appointments and the judges he's likely to, uh, to appoint or to nominate are uh, would be even less inclined to push back in the national security area. Uh, you're facing a, a very powerful presidency with uh, a limited ability on the part of the courts to to stop him. President Obama and President Bush used, uh, I believe, two authorizations of the use of force to expand wars and undertake essentially new ones in various parts of the globe. Is there any appetite for Congress to roll back any of that authority? The principal uh, law that, that uh, has, has expanded uh, presidential war powers is the uh, 2001 Authorization for the Use of Military Force, or AUMF, that Congress passed three days after September 11th uh, in order mainly to go after al-Qaeda and the Taliban. 
And yeah, under uh, President Bush and increasingly under President Obama, it's become this uh, blank check for globe-spanning war against any terrorist group that the president decides to target. Uh, that is something that Congress could address. The question is whether there's appetite for addressing that. Uh, when uh, this issue came up in, in the uh, current war, our latest war in the Middle East with ISIS, uh, the Republican dele delegation was mostly complaining about uh, new AUMFs on the table that uh, was mostly complaining that they didn't delegate enough power to the president. Uh, so. Uh, Republicans have, uh, in general, been uh, less vigilant on this issue than uh, their Democratic colleagues have. And it doesn't seem to be a partisan thing. Uh, and this is one of the uh, the cases where it's not. There is a there has been a longstanding ideological predilection for decades now on the part of conservatives to uh, support enhanced presidential war powers, uh, and one result is that President Obama uh, is going to leave office as the uh, uh, only two-term president in American history to have been at war every day of his president presidency. Uh, the, the fear is that he won't be the last. Uh, in theory, Congress has all the powers it needs to, uh, to stop a, a self-aggrandizing president. Uh, you know, we Despite what we, we all learned in Schoolhouse Rock, we don't have co-equal branches. Congress's powers are far superior, at least on paper, uh, to the president's. There's a, the legal scholar uh, Charles Black uh, put it this way in, in the wake of Watergate. He said, my classes think I'm trying to be funny when I say that Congress could reduce the president's staff to one secretary and put the White House up on, at auction. Uh, but he's not. He said, I, I, "I'm not trying to be funny. These things are literally true." And if Congress, on paper, has, you know, the power to sell the White House, they could they could certainly do uh, lesser things. They could defund unauthorized war, investigate uh, abuses by the intelligence agencies, as they did in the 1970s, uh, strengthen the war powers resolution, and uh, police unauthorized spending by the president. The problem is uh, that a Republican Congress would have been a, more likely to check uh, executive abuses by a uh, Hillary Clinton administration. Uh, but now you've got uh, the imperial presidency is you know, wearing the same color robes, red, uh, as the majority in Congress. And that tends to make the job of restraining executive power all the more difficult. Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.